Welcome to This Sustainable Life. This is Josh Spodak, and I'm here back with Matt Matern. Matt, how are you doing? I am doing very well. Thank you, Josh. Glad to have you back. And I've been curious because you did something I think a lot of people talk about and wish they did more. Or, uh, maybe you did, maybe not. Let's go back. Because um, I asked you what the environment meant to you, if you don't mind my jumping into it. And uh, do you remember what, when I asked for a quintessential moment in the environment, what, what the environment was like when you're in it? Do you remember what you, de- what you described? Um, that is an excellent question. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I I don't remember exactly. I and I can think of it now that uh, certainly being out in nature and uh, being up in the the North Woods or or yes, now I'm starting to come back to me. Uh, being in around Big Sur and this particular uh, ring of trees, these um, ginormous sequoia trees, which um, the Native Americans had had kind of had their, for lack of a better term, uh, prayer circles or ceremonies of a spiritual nature in these uh, in this particular circle of trees. Yeah, I I always want to go back when I talk to people. I I did it myself just now with you. Is that I want to jump into the action and I want to jump into the stuff that's visible and observable and and that we do. That's very important. I really want to return to, and I think this is a leadership thing, is to return to the emotions and the motivation and the intrinsic motivation, the experiences that we have. I think it's well, it's much easier if someone says, we're going to pave over some area or we're going to exploit some area for uh, resources to say, well, fine, because I want the results of that if we haven't connected with these things in a long time or, or at all. So I always like to make sure to come back to that. It's also one of my favorite parts of the podcast is when people answer that question. What does the environment mean to you? Well, thank you for returning me to that emotion. That was a good one. I mean, man, you make me, I wish we'd been doing video because a big smile came across my face when you said that. Um, what were the emotions? Do you remember what emotions you feel when you're there? I, I'd say the peacefulness of it, the connectedness of it. Um, it, it feels just, it, it literally feels energetically um, like a different space and uh, energy field than normal. So um, that that's really powerful. Now that begs the question, what would normal be then? I, I think normal is maybe a little more chaos. And this particular place, it's hard to kind of, it, 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 it's hard to be in chaos in that space. It, it just it calls forth peace. It calls forth serenity. It groundedness. It just is that way. I it, I can't help but notice that what you've described as normal is chaotic, and that's new in the universe in the world. Whereas what's not normal is peaceful, and that used to be that used to be normal. Right. I mean. The chaos I take it is is modern life of internet and um, cars honking outside and things like that. Right. I mean, uh, you live in a big city. I live in a big city. There's just a certain energy to a big city that is a certain degree chaotic, and in in part that's a beautiful thing. I, I love it, and uh, it can kind of get get to you after a while, and you don't even realize how it's gotten to you when you're just in it all the time 
And so when you're then not in it in a forest, it's very evident that this is totally different and and so much more serene. Could we return to the forest being normal and the chaos being abnormal? Is that a crazy thought? I think that's a great thought. And I, I it's something I've been uh, considering for a while of just kind of like moving out into nature and and having a space there because it is so beautiful and uh, it is really the normal which we have gotten away from in modern society. I meant something different than can we escape this stuff and make our own seclusion? I meant can we change normal for everyone so that access to nature is normal and being trapped in chaos is abnormal? Not just can those of us who can afford it or those of us who uh, can access it, can we get away from this when we want to? Can we? Is it crazy to think we could return to a world in which peaceful was normal and chaos was abnormal and you had to choose to go there deliberately? I think that that's something we can certainly strive for. Uh, it's something that kind of came up in a recent conversation uh, with some people at my office was to um, really support young young people who come from disadvantaged um, you know homes to take them out into nature and do what we can to support groups and maybe do some of it on our own. Uh, because that is so important. And I think that lots of young people who live in the city, particularly who uh, grow up poor, don't have a chance to connect to nature uh, very often and uh, certainly encourage that. And that would be one step in, in the direction of what you're talking about. I hope you don't mind if I explore some of my thoughts here. I'm a fan. I certainly support as a stopgap measure bring people to natural environments, but that doesn't stop the natural environments from disappearing. It seems to me that in the way that some people want to work with young people, I want to work with old people, especially those who have access to resources, those who uh, hold elected positions or are CEOs or executives or board members of the places deciding to pave these places over. And influence them. Absolutely. I mean, that's that is a big that's a big part of the equation too. I guess the the thought is that the kids are ultimately going to be drivers of this uh, of the future and uh they may help uh, convince their parents to to move in that direction as well cuz uh children have a a great influence on their parents. I think that when people say let's teach the children, I think they are uh, scared and backing away from working with the people who are making the decisions today because we have authority over children. And we can force them to sit there and listen to us. But if we believe in what we're saying, why don't we influence the people now? I mean, I think that if we tell children, here's what you have to do later, but we don't do it ourselves, I think they're going to grow up to not do it themselves either and just say, oh, that's one of the things parents say when we're kids, but when we grow up, we have to take into account the realities of the world and so forth. And all, and we're going to go back to the way that they were. And I think, I don't, I don't remember being taught 
to be wasteful. I don't remember being taught to pollute. I remember being taught to steward the land, and I thought everyone else was too. And everyone grew up to to do what was happening, to actually augment, to go even in, to increase and accelerate what's going on. I think if if there's reason to what we have to say, I think we should go. And this is just me, but it's also the strategy of what I'm doing is influencing and leading the decision makers today. Not oh, going to the kids you... and hoping that they indirectly lead their parents who might it, it seems it seems to me a um maybe less than direct and maybe less than uh, uh most it's not the most efficient model if you're waiting for the kids and i and I totally agree with the point that um we're we're teaching them by what we do. And so if we are actually doing it ourselves and leading in that way, that's the best teaching that we can give them. And I, I think that's a, a great point that you made. And you should drop, drop the mic right after that point, Josh. You just killed it. <laughs> I think it's also based on authority and telling people what to do because we can instead of leading. Because I don't believe that anyone wants to wreck nature. I think – People may say, I want to fly somewhere, and so I want to extract some fuel to do that. Or they might think, well, maybe this piece of plastic won't really pollute in some sort of rationalization that they just want their coffee in the moment. I think that if people – I think it's um, – now it's not going to be a mic drop, but like, I think it's cowardly. I think it's it's fearful of failure and not trying because the kids aren't the one that are – I mean, yeah, there are a bunch of kids who are causing some problems, but not, they're not the ones who are drilling wells. Right. They're not the ones who are buying the, the airplane tickets. And yeah, I mean, I, I recognize that most people listening to this podcast, they when they hear airplane ticket, they think, oh, I'm going to go see my family. How else can I see my family otherwise? Or I need to do it for work. I, you don't want me out of a job. That doesn't help anyone. But that's, I mean, people didn't always need to fly everywhere. They, it's... uh. I think that people are, are shying away. I think also people don't want to lose themselves. They don't want to go back to, they want to use disposable diapers because they don't want to get poop on their hands. But that doesn't make the pollution go away. It doesn't stop us from accelerating, creating more and more of it or depleting the resources or uh, filling the ocean with plastic. Yeah, definitely. Radical measures are are needed, or or I don't know if you want to call them radical, radical, but certainly different than our current method of of just using things that are disposable and and throwing away just tons of trash and uh, an economy that is built on um, ever increasing GDP, which I think we talked about before. It's just a, a model. Uh, that is almost designed to destroy the planet. Well, you're talking about personal action, I think, and but there's also leading others, because the people, the voters, I mean, the the uh, the people in elected positions, the CEOs, the board members, they're choosing to accelerate the the what you're talking about, and we can influence them. I mean, if we just if we don't try, I don't think we'll succeed. And the people who go into those positions aren't the ones who are thinking this way. But the evidence seems overwhelming. So I think we have to, I, I don't know, I feel compelled that I, 
I mean, people look at my personal action. That's what gets the, the photographs in the newspaper and the videos. But that's just the visible stuff. That's not the leadership stuff that's going on working with the corporate executives and doing the corporate workshops and working with elected officials. And I, I think we can't lead them to live by values that we're living the opposite of. So, we, of course, we have to live these values. But I don't know why people keep – I do know why. But people keep going – we got to teach the children. Sure, I'm I'm a big fan of teaching children, but they're not the ones doing it. We got to lead. I mean, we got to go out there. I mean, you ran for office, so I think you're one of. The, I'm not trying to preach the converted here, but I think most people don't realize that not only can we, but I think we have to. Not just vote every now and then, of course that, but talk to our elected officials, change our buying habits but influence people in the way that we would influence children if we believe there's reason behind what we what we are saying and where we want to lead them to lead now the people who are choosing things today and not and lead them change them get access to them if we don't have that access get that access and whatever we're going to do with the kids do with the adults of course you have to custom tune it for adults but we have to uh, it yeah, I hope I'm not getting too far afield from Redwoods and and. <laughs> well, I think that the two are connected, obviously, and um, I think we have to be inspired in order to take those actions. And I I'm thinking as you're talking of elected officials that I know that I could communicate to, and and they they're probably pretty environmentally conscious already, though. There are probably things that are a stretch for them, even as we speak, that they've stretched a bit and it's time to ask them to stretch more. And that's not a, always a comfortable conversation, but we should, as citizens, continue to ask them to stretch to uh, do even better than what they've done to date. I would reframe that to not it being a stretch, but to... I think future generations will look back and say there wasn't a stretch. I mean, I think of um, Abraham Lincoln and Frederick Douglass and Thomas Paine as you could have said they were stretching in the time. But looking back now, I think they weren't stretching so much as common sense. I mean, to talk to Thomas Paine, it's clear where we have to go. And maybe mainstream society isn't there yet. But to make the world peaceful normal and the chaos something you choose seems something that isn't like such a stretch you know from that frame from that perspective right uh it's i guess it's the challenging uh, challenging uh task of communicating it in a way that it seems normal because right now the normal seems to uh consume abundantly and wastefully uh, because that's kind of how society, our current society is, is pretty much built on that, that structure. And so to not consume in that way seems pretty abnormal, even though it may be common sense. Yeah. Abnormal by if, if we view the world around us today as normal, but if we view today as abnormal as compared to say th the past 300,000 years of human history of, and I know a lot of people, when they hear that, they think, oh, they're scratching out a living out of the dirt, dying at 30, 
dying in, in, in giving birth. But the more I learn of anthropology, that's, that's our projections of, of fears that actually people thrive most of that time. And so from that perspective, to behave more sustainably isn't so abnormal. Behaving, behaving unsustainably is abnormal. Well, I think the challenge is people thriving and living sustainably. And I think that that's the, um, the message that needs to get out there that is, uh, is challenging to communicate in that, uh, we've certainly become kind of hypnotized to, uh, living in an unsustainable way. So you're kind of getting people out of a hypnotic state, which is, uh, of course, you do uh, mass consumption because that's what everybody else is doing. Yeah, it reminds me. Here's something I, I, I just posted on my blog, I think, last week. A thought that never occurred to me, didn't occur to me until very recently. That I think most people get that there are some environmental issues going on and that, that we're living unsustainably. And I have not heard from anyone as a solution to our living unsustainably. As a solution, I've heard solutions to develop uh, direct air capture, carbon capture and sequestration, and carbon taxes, um, fusion and fu fission. Here's a solution I've not heard anyone say to live sustainably. <laughs> Have you heard anyone suggest, why don't we live sustainably? I think I heard you say it, um, but uh, it isn't, it isn't uh, the, the first conversation that you hear or it isn't the dominant conversation that you hear even in environmental circles i've never heard it from anyone i mean except myself is and i'm not there yet you know i'm trying and i'm getting there but no one's suggesting living sustainably it's it's like off the table it's so horrendous it's so untenable it's so awful that no one wants to do it I think the the vegan movement is kind of a movement in that direction. It isn't it isn't completely tethered to sustainability, though. It's certainly a big uh, prong of I think people who who practice that that lifestyle or that dietary um, you know set of restrictions. Uh, it's kind of probably what's behind it, though. It isn't necessarily um, completely tethered to sustainability. You haven't heard anyone proposing, like, it's one reduction, but not actually living sustainably. Yeah, I guess that's true. You could be a vegan who's like a world traveler and buying everything plastic and so on and so forth. So, yeah, you could be the unsustainable vegan. Yeah. Well, anyway, I, I've been off topic from uh, the Redwoods. <laughs> <laughs> I appreciate you wandering down this road with me. Although it, it feels like you've been down it too, to some degree, in, in your way. Well, yeah, I, I, I feel like uh, there's so many different pathways in the environmental space, and it can be uh, a bit discombobulating because even somebody who's really trying hard to kind of get your arms around it, um, there are a lot of different voices talking about so many different issues. You, you can you can kind of get um, really confused by the whole process. People have pointed that out to me, that people don't really feel like they get it. There's so many different voices and so much uh, self-serving stuff 
that it's it's not like you can just go say, oh, it's all very complicated. Where's one source of information where I can really understand what's going on and what I can do? It does sound right. like it's confusing for a lot of people. Yeah, I think that – and I, I once uh, interviewed Marianne Williamson and uh, and we talked about this and I, I said to her, well, I think that it there is a great degree of complexity in this in – this, uh, you know, solving environmental problems. And she was like, well, we just need to get off fossil fuel and so on and so forth and, and kind of trying to simplify it to uh, just getting off oil. And I thought that, and I, I didn't push back on her that hard at that moment, but in uh, recollecting that conversation, I, I kind of wish I would have and said, hey, I don't think that that's, that is really A, going to do it and B, it is, it's too simplistic. I mean, there are, there's a whole lot of complexity to just, you can't just snap your fingers and say, Hey, we're going to be off fossil fuel tomorrow. Is it a piece of, do you view it as, as a, a part of a, a bigger um, strategy emission or is it backward or how do you view it? Uh, that one piece of it? Well, I just think that there are, there are so many pieces of people's lives which are tethered to that, that it's it's unrealistic to just say, hey, we're going to stop it on a dime. Um, it's going to take a process to uh, wean off our addiction to to fossil fuels. Do you see people weaning off their addiction to fossil fuels? I, I see people increasing their use of non-fossil fuel-based energy sources. I don't see people decreasing their fossil fuel use. I see people pursuing efficiencies, but efficiency has almost always led to taking the savings and putting into more of the same in some other way. Are people really pushing to decrease fossil fuel use? Well, I guess that I don't mean talking. Right. I, I think that's a good point. And that the, the challenge and the problem is, is that our ener energy consumption needs continue to rise dramatically, even in the face of us using lots of, as you said, non-fossil fuel energy and creating that. It doesn't seem to be putting as big of a dent in um, our pollution problem because we continue to use yet more and more energy. So, uh, how do we how do we stop using so much energy? Yeah, can you imagine using less fossil fuels? That I can imagine, yes. But I don't see it. I don't see it happening anywhere. I mean, except in places. The only places I see it is where it's efficiencies that lead to more use somewhere else. Well, say in California, we we certainly have more um, non fossil fuel powered vehicles than. Than most places, uh, though it we still have a whole set of challenges related to the creation of that energy, and how are we doing it? Um, I think that we can do it more effectively. I was just at an event uh, where uh, Schwarzenegger and his former head of uh, California EPA, Terry Tammerman, um, had created this new facility down by the port in LA called Alta C. And they they had the entire warehouse covered in solar panels. And uh, one of the comments made at the event was, is 
if every warehouse in California was covered with solar panels, we could cover something like 90, 95% of our energy usage. And we wouldn't even need to put these vast arrays out in the desert and things like that in order to cover our, um, you know, our needs for power. I can't imagine that would include things like long haul trucks or container ships or airplanes. I think it must be to cover 90% of our electrical needs as opposed to our full power needs. That that may be true. And then uh, then we need to put uh, solar up on all the homes and then we could power our trucks and uh, and other things. I I think truck long haul trucks and container ships, airplanes, I'm not aware of any way to power them except fossil fuels. And not in the next, I don't know, a couple decades, if ever. Uh, actually, we could go to hydrogen. And uh, we could make the green hydrogen from from solar or wind, and and the hydrogen could power um, both long haul trucks, ships, and planes. Is that anywhere near commercial viability? I mean, I've, uh, I've never heard of this being actually practical. Uh, yeah, I mean, I drive a hydrogen car. This is and this is my second hydrogen car, and so. I, you know, that's one of the things Schwarzenegger and Terry Tamman did was to create a hydrogen infrastructure here in California. Um, uh, Toyota is working um, on creating yet a new variant of the hydrogen-powered engine for for cars. Uh, so they're very committed to it. And, um, you know, in terms of viability, I think there's less of a change that would need to be made to to planes, it might even be possible to do it with the current set of planes that we have. Um, you know, I, I don't want to speak completely untethered to reality, but I've read some stuff about it, and it, it certainly is probably the easiest fuel to convert to that's clean. Um, so, you know, there are there are some things on the horizon that we could do. I, I guess the question is putting the kinds of investment into them so that they could uh, become commercially viable. Yeah, my my impression from what I've what I've read and, and researched is that the reason there's no investment in it or there's too little investment in it is that there's not going to be a payoff. That when you look at the details, it, it's not likely to work. I think it's a matter of regulation, and I think the government has to say that, um, like the government in California and other places, have said, hey, we're going to have a, a zero-emission environment for for vehicles. And then the industry adapts to the regulation and produces something that they previously had said, oh, that's impossible, uh, but they actually are able to do it. So that's that's really what government should be doing is setting a higher bar for industry because quite frankly, industry can adapt and will adapt. And that's, that's really, I think the path forward. So let's get back to you. And uh, I, I appreciate this. And if you want to keep on it, I'm more than happy to. Although I'm also curious about the commitment that you made based on the Redwoods. So um, you were you talked about the peace and tranquility or the peace peacefulness and so you committed to something to act on those on that those emotions. 
Right. So I committed to uh, planting a tree. And uh, so that set a whole series of events in um, into uh, action. And then um, I found, well, I reached out to some places where I might be able to plant the tree. And there was a nonprofit, there is a nonprofit group here in the neighborhood that helps homeless youth, but they also have a garden that they, uh, is part of their program to have the, the young people working in the garden. And so I went out and volunteered the garden, did not plant a tree, but did plant a tomato, uh, plant. And then I, uh, hooked, uh, you know, from there, I learned of a, organization here in Venice, California that plants trees in the neighborhood. And so I reached out to them. They weren't planting before I was supposed to do the show. So then I was looking at other organizations here in California that are tree planters as well as internationally. Is that something that I'd like to do support more of? And then I went out and I bought a tree, an Arabian lilac tree, which uh, from a local nursery here in in venice um which just to give you an fyi that uh tree kind of in mythology was uh was one that pan was in love with a nymph syringa and as he was chasing her through the forest she turned herself into a lilac shrub so it has a, a bit of significance there and and then i also bought a valencia orange tree so I planted the Valencia orange tree last night in preparation for the podcast. <laughs> so I would have done my homework and I did it, Josh. That is a lot of stuff. How, what was driving you through all of that? I mean, was it fun? Was it, what, what drove you? Well, I mean, I, it's things that I've wanted to do. I, I've uh, volunteered with this uh, safe place for youth here in, in Venice for the last five, six years. So I've walked through that garden before. And uh, so I uh, reached out to them and they said, oh, we're having this gardening day. Uh, and so it was great to connect to people in the community. It felt good kind of digging in the garden and stuff like that and planting stuff and meeting some really cool people. Uh, so that was that felt like a good win. And then uh, from there, one of the people who worked in the garden, she was very connected to this, um, you know, kind of uh, part of the community that plants trees and stuff. So she hooked me up with this other group. So I, I just felt like, well, that it was... Um, one of those things where you feel like one thing leads you to the next, to the next. And, and it felt very organic, uh, to use it, probably an overused word. Um, and, and, uh, so in a lot of ways felt really like I was doing something that I've always wanted to do and just haven't been doing it. So I appreciate your encouragement to, uh, to dig into that literally and figuratively. <laughs> so I, yeah, I would not have known before I spoke to you and asked you, and you told me about the Redwoods, that that would be a direction you'd want to go in. Maybe, because if maybe if I'd said, why don't you go pick up some litter or why don't you go do something else? They might not have resonated with you. Right. So it's really like, I didn't encourage, I, I think I didn't encourage so much as, as tap into and then unleash or um, remove inhibitions. 
Right. Uh, you know, a, a taproot. So there is a taproot there that is deeply is deep somewhere about planting trees. And I've I've been wanting to do this for a while and kind of on the periphery. And so this just gave me the impetus to to uh, dig deeper, as I said. And and it was uh, it was a good piece of the journey. I feel like I'm just kind of um, getting into it. I, I really want to do more and um, contribute more on that front. Do you think that you're special in this way in that once tapped that you, like most people wouldn't want to do this? Or like what fraction of people do you think if they got started would want to continue in the way that you've described, of course, for them in their lives doing their thing, not your thing? Right. I think uh, essentially like 100%. I believe that everybody has a desire to contribute and I can just say from my own personal experience, but I think it's very universal, is that a lot of times it's thwarted. It's just um, we want to contribute, but we don't know how to take the first step or we, we don't have somebody encourage us to take that first step or something like that. And if if people would ask us to to play and kind of engage, we would be happy to do so. Um if we were only asked. You know, I just finished today's Tuesday and Sunday, two days ago was this eighth of eight weeks of, of this workshop that I put together where I invited people in my network to join this workshop. And it was to teach the Spodic method, which is what we did, which I envisioned to, they now, they all had very, very positive experiences. Things like now I can talk to my mom again and an offer for a promotion at work from the stuff they did in the workshop, which was basically working with people the way that I just worked with you. And I envision this group. I, I would like to see them become workshop leaders the way I was so they can lead their own workshops and also teach others to be workshop leaders and who can teach others to be workshop leaders and so forth. I envision something growing the way CrossFit has or AA or Weight Watchers. If you're guessing something like 100% of people, if tapped effectively would want to continue. Do you also share that this could be something that pays off? Because what I did with you is not, there was no magic. It was, you know, ask what the, what the environment meant to you and then ask the emotions and connect those, invite you to think of something to do to connect those emotions to a task. Yeah, I think that it is, it's just very simple, but that's kind of the beauty of it is that, uh, we all have a connection to the environment and if we tap into it, uh, it'll kind of naturally lead us to what the next step is. Yeah. It's, it, to me, the big thing is shifting from extrinsic motivations. Here's what you have to do because if you don't blah, 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 you know, everyone's going to die or there's going to be collapse or whatever versus what does the environment mean to you and what can you do to act on? I think if you actually want someone to act to save Florida, I think the most effective and the fastest, most effective way is first for them to act for themselves. And then once they realize that this is something joyful or something, I think you described it as something you've wanted to do for a long time and then see, oh, this thing that I've wanted to do actually does connect over there. I think that's more effective. Maybe, I, I guess, maybe there'll be going to be some who's like, oh my God, Florida's going to be underwater. I better act now. So maybe I, I'm not saying stop doing that, but, um, I think this is something that 
could, t- I mean, I'm impassioned to act on it because I, I believe it can take off and grow to millions, to tens, to hundreds of millions of people acting because they want to. I think that's a, a brilliant idea. And, and I encourage that in every way, shape or form, because it's, um, it takes all of us to change our mindsets and in changing our mindsets, that's what's going to drive change kind of on all levels. So I think for me personally, doing that um, encourages me to do more on whether it's uh, my own podcast to climate change or reaching out to other guests to engage and, and uh, encourage them to, um, to do more in their communities. So I think there's a lot of ripple effect to this type of process. And a lot of people tell me, Josh, you don't understand. Other people don't have time or, or money or resources to do these things. I think that they think that I'm sitting here doing absolutely nothing, occasionally filling my bathtub with gold coins and, and swimming in them <laughs> like I just have tons of time and money. Were you sitting around with nothing to do and uh, you just had spare cash lying around and, and that's what enabled you to do this? No, I think that it's uh, – I mean I'm fortunate that I am – pretty blessed in in both those areas but i think all of us are busy and i think it's a matter of saying okay i'm going to actually do this and then when you take that first step um okay this is this is this is good i i felt good about taking every step along that path that it felt like going to the gym or things like that where you feel this is a good thing for me and it's a good thing for others yeah, when I do stuff, I, when I go out volunteering, I'm not doing that instead of work. I'm doing that instead of watching TV. And it's much more rewarding. Yeah, exactly. I mean, there's there's excess time that we have in our day that is eaten up by, uh, for me, like looking at news articles on the internet or something like that, which I can do for hours Um which probably aren't as productive as going out there and planting a tree or getting involved in the community, um, which has a whole different return on investment than watch, you know, reading political articles. Yeah. What was your emotional experience of this? Going back to from our last conversation until the planning, the executing and finding alternative things, what did it it have ups and downs? Was it, how, how did it feel? What were the? Can you name some of the emotions you felt along the way? I mean, there was some like, um, you know, there was the the sense of anticipation of going out to to go to the gardens, and then yet on the morning of, there's a little hesitancy to actually go because um, there are other things to do. There's always something else to do, and um, but then just taking those first steps to actually doing it and then feeling better. Hey, okay, I'm going to do this. And then arriving and it, um, blossoming into this beautiful experience. And, and, uh, there are different points along the way. There's certain degrees of frustration. I think it's just the natural wave of human emotions. Uh, but generally, uh, a really beautiful experience. So, and then just buying the trees and stuff, I felt uh, really kind of this hopefulness of, 
hey, I'm contributing, I'm doing something that I've wanted to do. That's that's a great feeling to me of feeling like, hey, I'm reconnecting to who I would really like to be in this world. There's not a whole lot better than that. Yeah, that's pretty deep stuff you're saying there. So, yes, thank you. Thank you for that encouragement. I I think that that's the that's the beauty of what you're doing, Josh, is that you're really giving a pathway to people to express the things they really want to do, but just get frustrated or, you know, for stupid reasons. I mean, it's not like I wasn't capable of doing any of these things before we had our call. It's just that I didn't have a slight amount of encouragement to go out and take that first step. And then once that first step is taken, um, this whole cascading series of events takes place that, that is, you know, um, takes me in a, a whole different direction. And then I think there should be some consistent encouragement along the way, because Lord knows we could do something nice like this and then not, you know, kind of go back into our cave and, and not do it. So along the lines of, uh, you know, you mentioned AA or CrossFit, it's a group effort that kind of sustains these conversations and actions. Want to do, want to commit to something else and come back again? Uh, sure. With, you know, (laughs) I don't know what I'm agreeing to, but, uh, you know, so far, so good. The Spodek method seems to have value. So I'm going to trust you, Josh. Well, you were talking about the emotional experience of it and the the depth and I don't know how to describe it, the power of it, the the uh, comprehensiveness of it. Are there other things that you, now that you've done something? So this was lying underneath, maybe not quite conscious, aware of it, that you wanted to do things like this for a while. Is there anything else that might be in there that you've been thinking about doing that now you could do. And again, I guess I should put in the constraints from before, something you were not already doing, something that you do yourself with your own hands, something that has a physical component that somehow leaves the world better than you found it in a non-zero way. Not that you have to measure it. I think that there's, uh, there's lots of dreams that I've had in terms of whether it's uh, having a place um, that out in the, the wilderness or certainly kind of away from the city where it's kind of uh, can be farmed and be a sustainable place, something like that. Um, that's, that's one piece of the dream and, and growing good organic food and, and kind of living a bit off the grid. That's, that's one piece of a potential dream. So who knows whether I go in that direction or certainly there's more public policy type things that I'm interested in and, and want to contribute. And the question is, what's what's the highest and best use of my time and energy and talents to to help other people and to serve? So this is a slightly different question than that last one you mentioned. It, I'm not suggesting you think of what's the most effective or most efficient because I think that the, mo- the the best way to find that out is doing stuff that you enjoy, and that will help you answer it. The doing will lead you to answer those questions more effectively and faster than reflection alone. That's a that's a good point. Is there something you could do that 
that you've already that's already in you that might take you in one of those directions i think uh volunteering for those uh some kind of tree planting organization and and going out there getting my hands dirty and and actually doing the work would be would be a good step man that phrase that's like magic to my ears it's it's the opposite of what most people like here's what we have to get other people to do as opposed to go out and get my hands dirty. And I think getting hands dirty is, um, there's something very earthy about it. Very, um, what's the word? I mean, it's building. It's, it's, it's building from the ground up, it feels like to me. In any case, uh, want to, let's see, the next step would be to make it a smart goal. Specific, measurable, achievable, realistic, time-bound. Is there something we, we could make it a smart goal? Um, yeah, I guess I can do this. I, I'm going to be, um, I know this traveling, I know that questionable thing in, in your, uh, in your world. But, uh, so I, I will be kind of out of pocket for a few weeks, but, um, probably within the next 30 days I could. I could get this project off the ground. All right. How about if after we stop recording, but before we hang up, we schedule something for roughly 30 days from now? Yeah, that would be great. Okay. And I noticed you conflated travel with flying, I think. Cause I did. Traveling I'm a fan of, which is one of the reasons I have a bicycle and I'll take the train and some buses. Yeah, the train, you know... And maybe I could have uh, done the train had I had I planned a little bit better. I I didn't really plan effectively for a train ride, but next time the train. To f- let the record show, I didn't suggest that. <laughs> I wasn't pushing. <laughs> no, I think it, 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 there is some uh, inherent encouraging when. When one when I see somebody else doing something that I admire their their grit or their um, commitment, uh, you know, you want to up your game. I guess that's um, part about being in your space, Josh. Is there's kind of a inherent uh, pull towards upping people's game. Uh, next thing you know, I'm going to be running for president. Yeah. <laughs> It could be. I mean, there's certainly room for you out there, Josh. I, I think it'd be a great, great idea. I'm, I'll back you. All right, we're gonna have to start there next time and make that part of the, the conversation too. If 30 days isn't too long to wait, I think the 2024 cycle has already begun. <laughs> <laughs> oh, there's still time to to uh, to jump in. I I think you can register up until November of uh, 2023. So you've got you've got months and months to build your organization. You haven't done it before. I'd like to put that just to talk about it and hear what it was like. So can we make that part of the agenda next time too? Absolutely. All right. So let's let's stop now and then pick up here next time. Unless there's anything to that I didn't think to ask. Oh wait, there's one thing I didn't think to ask. Uh, this experience that you had with the tree planting, did it affect your relationships with any of the people? I think it did. I, I connected uh, with some people at work uh, through our volunteering together, 
something about kind of digging around in the earth with uh, your your compatriots. Uh, you, you develop a little bit different bond with them. And I think it was a very healthy move. Sounds like a win in all directions. Yeah, it was. Absolutely. I can't wait to hear the volunteering goes. I'm looking forward to it as well. Well, Matt, thank you very much. Thanks for having me on the program, Josh. It's been a pleasure. How many people are bringing a message of joy from what everyone calls saving the environment, but I call the future? Step by step, this podcast is creating a culture of joy, community, and connection around sharing and acting on our environmental values. Again, there's no profit in buying and wasting less, but we'll all love our lives and relationships more when we do. I can use your support. Please donate at joshuaspodick.com slash donate. Again, that's joshuaspodick.com slash donate.